Are you ever curious what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood? You watch a Netflix show or a Marvel movie and you wonder, why was that person in it? Why did this movie get made? I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, on the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, we're going to bring you short, digestible episodes featuring some of the smartest people I know breaking down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Follow The Town now and listen on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Folks, <laughs> basketball is very good. This is, as we have said, the craziest time of the year for pre-NBA basketball. The NCAA tournament is... Uh, is a pumping and a going, and uh, my name is J. Kyle Mann, and welcome to Upside High, a show where we talk about things uh, adjacent to that. We talk about the youth movement in basketball, uh, the NBA draft, prospects, and things of that nature. I am joined uh, by one of the brightest minds in the sport, covering the sport, Mr. John Sharks. Jonathan Sharks, how are you doing, buddy? So you're still saying basketball is very good after what happened this weekend? I respect that. Well, we're just getting right to it, aren't we? Yeah, not a good weekend for me. Not a good weekend for me, I would say. It was tough. <laughs> I don't know. Should we just go right into Kentucky talk? That's later in the pod. I guess we can hold off. Well, people were curious. I had people hit me up. I had people saying they were like, it almost sounded like you were prepping yourself for that to happen. Maybe a little bit. I mean, for people who don't know, Kentucky lost in the first round to a uh, number two seed, losing to a 15 seed. That's only happened how many times? Like three, four? Like, I mean, it's like... Not many. Yeah. Um, St. Peter's, they were ranked in the hundreds in like defensive and offensive efficiency. Kentucky has a bunch of like tier one wins this year. On paper, they should have been able to beat this team. Okay, let's just get let's just get into it now. Then let's just knock it out early. Yeah, I think, I think we're already in it. We're in it. Okay, so I had some questions for you. So number one... Did you know anything about St. Peter's, the basketball team, before the game? Did you, like, research them? Were you aware of, like, their personnel at all? I didn't go out of my way to, like, scout them. No, I did not. I mean, I've done that in the past. I've gone through and, like, just hopped on Synergy and watched some of the teams that, uh, just to get an idea of what to expect. I knew Shaheen Holloway, obviously. I followed those Seton Hall teams back in the early 2000s with, like, Shaheen Holloway and then the teams after that with, like, 
Eddie Griffin and Sam D'Alembert and Marcus Toniel. That's going way back. Uh, one of the first really good recruiting classes. But I, I didn't know a ton about St. Peter's. No, uh, virtually nothing, to be honest. Okay, so as you were watching the game, at what point did you start to think, okay, they could actually lose this? Like, at what point in the game were you like, this is a legit upset threat? I would say the under eight media timeout. Like, they kept, like, getting ahead, and then it, it became obvious. Like, getting back cut had been an issue all season. Like, well, towards the end of the season, basically. And when that kept happening, and... You know, they were fouling them on threes, and it just looked like Kentucky wasn't dominating them inside. I said aloud to my friend that I was sitting with at this bar, I was just like, they're going to lose this, man. I was like, they're going to lose this. In the first half? No, the under eight in the second half. Okay. I, I didn't think in the first half they'd lose. I was like, eh, they'll probably ugly win. They'll pull this out. Second half under eight, I said that aloud. My friend was like, why would you say that? He got really mad at me. But I'm like, I'm one of those cynical people that like, I would rather be surprised than disappointed so i dart for the worst case scenario so that i'm protected you know what i mean like i mm -hmm. i have this like fight or flight instinct where i'm always like that this is what's probably going to happen so, and then i'm like if i'm surprised great so down the stretch of the game you're thinking oh they're gonna lose this or you're like are you holding out hope or you're like they're probably gonna lose this let me prepare for it now or like where is your emotions as like four minutes two minutes down the stretch hoping on all hope they could win um but thinking they very well could lose i was just somewhere in the middle looking for any reason to be positive a lot of their warts just kind of came out in that game man i mean i don't know how quickly you want me to be big picture here about this but i think the team was put together in a way where all the pieces needed to be there i always i worried about their shot creation all season i was like they're really lacking it was like Ty Ty was the only guy who could create anything off the dribble, and that was usually dribble pull-ups. Once he hurt his ankle against Florida at home, I think it was in like late February, he was never the same. Anytime he came back and he got back into traffic, he looked scared. He looked like he was babying that ankle. Mince isn't a shot creator. Grady just fell off the face. That's another thing. Grady just fell off the face of the earth. Like he, they didn't get anything from him. He was terrified to shoot it. He would. I put some screenshots on Twitter after the SEC tournament that – he would catch the ball and just not shoot it. And he wasn't attacking. So you just lose all the fluidity from your guards. And then you have Oscar and Keon Brooks making decisions. And they're not decision makers. They can't dribble the ball. So you just you lost all your offense. And I don't know, man. And that's, that's what you end up with. And a team like St. Peter's that spreads you way out. They, you know, they were running those like... They were spreading you way out and running those back cuts to start the game. It was like they were in trouble. I mean, I probably should have seen it earlier, honestly, They were that they were going to be in that level of trouble. So what was your reaction after the game? So you're at a bar, at a Kentucky bar, obviously. Like, what happened? It wasn't a full-blown Kentucky bar, but I was sitting, you know, I live in Louisville. I would say it's probably close to 50-50 Kentucky and Louisville fans. That's another thing that we can get into here in a minute. Louisville is another part of this. We were at this like long tabletop and uh, I did for a minute just like just lay my face down on the bar. <laughs> How long did that go for? Just a couple minutes? Yeah, I mean, it went on for probably 20 seconds and then I got up and I was like, ah. I sat in my car for a minute and I came home and uh, I told Megan, I was like, Kentucky lost and it almost sounded like... Does she watch? Did she even care? No, she, she doesn't like, care at all. Okay. She doesn't care. I mean, the bottom line here is worst loss of my lifetime for people who don't know. That's, the, that's probably the worst Kentucky loss ever. And you're pretty old, so that's counting a lot of losses. Yeah, thank you for that little jab but i think it's the worst i mean you can't count the wisconsin one because they were undefeated and they were in the final four that's like you lose in the final four that ha good teams are in the final four you lose to st peter's it's just a major seismic kind of moment for kentucky i think and the fact that louisville 
hired the guy who was responsible for like, I don't know, 60, 70, 75, 80% of the NBA talent that, that swears by Kentucky, Kenny Payne. Uh, they hire him the same day. And it's just a jarring thing. Cal has a lot of questions to answer. You were asking me if Cal's in the, on the hot seat right now. Lowest approval rating ever for Cal at Kentucky. People, no one is happy with him. He tweets out this thing that says, like, don't blame the players, blame me. We're like, well, no shit, buddy. We all blame you. What the hell are you talking about? It's personnel. People are griping about the stuff he runs and things like that. There's a lot of teams that run the sort of three handoff thing before they, the dummy action before they go into pick and roll. I don't think it's that. I think it's personnel. You put guys out there that can't attack, can't shoot. I just want to say this to John Calipari. If you somehow listen to this, if you somehow hear this, stop recruiting point guards who don't shoot stop it i feel like bob newhart in that mad tv sketch stop it stop doing it and don't and if you're gonna do it don't recruit one that's five foot seven seriously when they signed him back in the summer charks this is like if we had recorded like but game we would have gotten an epic version of me when they signed that guy back in the summer i was like this is not good this is like enabling his worst instincts which is like cal is defined by like the transition mow you down point guard he is. Like, that's been a big part of his career. Derrick Rose, John Wall, De'Aaron Fox, he's had a bunch of those guys. Time has moved on. You're not going to win a title with that kind of point guard anymore unless you have, like, incredible shooters around them. So he goes and signs a five foot seven version of that, and he's going to have to figure out a way to get more talent on the roster, the creation talent. And, you know, I think style of play is less of a thing for that. The talent issue is big for me. This is, this is going to be a huge swing year coming up for Cal. Yeah, that was, Mike, watching the game... And it, at the end of the game, it becomes a severe Wheeler show. And like you were saying, this guy is like 5'7". He only goes left. He can't shoot. I wouldn't even say he's like a crazy athlete. Like he's a decent athlete for his size, but he's nothing special. And like this like mid-major point guard just dominating the ball for Kentucky. I was like, this is not going to work. And he was holding the ball so much, like the rest of the team got out of rhythm. It was, it was a tough watch. And I think to wrap it all up, I guess are you kind of saying like this is a big year for Cal. Like, if Cal doesn't have a talent advantage, like, what is he really? That's the other thing as you're watching this game was like, this team is not crazy talented. He's kind of moving away from the one and done method. I'm not sure if that was by choice or he was forced to. Because, yeah, his recruiting has kind of dried up in the last couple of years. Like, we're going to talk about all these top players coming up in the draft. They don't go to Kentucky anymore. And if Cal's not getting these top five picks... Like, what is he? Like, what's what's the future for Kentucky? Yeah, he's not getting the guys. That, I mean, the, the difference is you're either where you are now or you're Duke. And he was getting the Palos and those types of players. He was having – this Duke team's a very Kentucky-esque kind of a team. Big, athletic, bruising. You can play that way if you have the talent. He hasn't been able to figure out how to, like, enable the personnel, the right type of personnel to want to come here. He doesn't want his fours and fives shooting the ball. He doesn't, like, have a three-point shooter at the point of attack, which is – nuts anyway it's it's a frustrating time and uh yeah i mean i was pretty out of it for a while I, it took me a minute to kind of reboot and enjoy the tournament i'm fully back and i'm I'm fine well i gotta ask too how was the state of kentucky like are people is it like uh the president was shot like in the other newspapers like front page i think people are just in a shock man I, I really do i think people were just uh stunned you know it was it's it's kind of an embarrassing loss i guess you could say like yes i think you can say that we're gonna hear about it forever i mean that's just what it is uh, the bottom line is and Russillo told me this the other night too and just from his fresh eyes watching Kentucky he was like you had 
more than two guys out there that they weren't they weren't guarding and i was like there it is i mean you can't get in the middle if you have that so other than that um we were lucky though from a draft standpoint that a lot of the top well the top four guys were in play in the first two games we got to see most of them play two games you and i were really excited about the chet holmgren versus uh jalen duran game memphis versus gonzaga uh, how'd you feel about that game? That game was awesome. Like that game, if you're not going to be into like college basketball, like if you didn't enjoy that, you're just not going to be into it because that had the feel. Did you kind of feel like it was like a heavyweight fight? It was like a prize fight. Like it was in Portland. The atmosphere was absolutely electric. Gonzaga had so much on the line. Memphis had so much on the line. One and done. And I, I love that like the first couple of plays of the game, Memphis went right at Chet. They're like, we don't respect you. We're bigger and more athletic. We're just going to put you under the basket. It didn't really work. And that's one of the things I like about Chet is Chet's had a target on his back his whole career. And that Memphis game was the perfect example. I think they ran like post-ups for Duran, like three possessions. And Chet yeah. blocked him every time. But they're like, we're going to go right at your heart. We've got a top five pick on our team too. And we're coming at you. And that set the tone for the whole game. It was like back and forth. That was awesome. Well, you said it there. Um, I, w- I wanted to say, too, that like these 8-9 matchups versus the one seed, they occasionally have the ability to get to, get to this level of like really high stakes. Like Sometimes you'll end up with talent in that game that uh, maybe it's a team that couldn't quite put it together. And then they find a way to put it together for this game against the one seed. And that was kind of the profile that this game fit for me. You saw this Memphis team that had kind of struggled all year. They kind of put it together. Imani Bates actually comes back to the team later after leaving. But you said Duran, uh, you said they have a top five pick too. Do you think that Duran did anything to help or hurt his stock in this game? We'll get to Chet in a minute, but I'm curious about Duran specifically because you haven't, you haven't said a whole lot about Duran. I guess I was kind of getting excited. I don't think he's really a top five pick. He has that kind of talent though. You know what I mean? Like in terms of when you're watching him out there, this is a guy who can go physically, athletically toe to toe with Chet. And like, we're trying to establish him early and let him know. And, and to go back to what you were saying, like you look at Gonzaga and this is a team realistically, this is probably their peak. They're never, most likely never going to have a player as good as Chet again. They're probably never going to have someone as accomplished as Drew Timmy. Like, they've got to win this year. And you can feel it. Like, the pressure they're under is just enormous. And you had Memphis. And Memphis, they're trying to get back on the map. Memphis is a program, very proud program historically. Used to be like a Final Four contender every year under Calipari. And they've been kind of in the wilderness for 10, 11 years. And they were like, this is the game that puts us back on the map. We're going at it. Didn't quite work out for them, but it was... It was just an awesome environment. I guess we should get into Chet now. I mean, it was a weird game for Chet. Like, I liked how physical he was with them. He probably got like five blocks because they were going at him the whole time. And he he was holding his own. Four blocks. Nine points, four blocks, two assists, nine rebounds. I think my thing with Chet, like he had that play early in the game where he dribbles into the lane for a spinning fadeaway at seven foot one. And you're like, wow, this is the skill set no one else has. This is why he's so highly touted. Also should say that was like a busted play where he attacked a closeout and spun and hit that yeah. shot too, which was cool. And th- But then that was it though. And that's the question with Chet, right? Is he didn't really force the issue much on offense the rest of the game. He kind of moved the ball, played off Timmy. He made some good passes, but he got most of his points on like garbage points. For the Chet doubters out there, that would be the concern, right? Can this guy take over games on offense because we didn't see it in Memphis for sure yeah he definitely didn't force it he I noticed a few times you were talking about the passes 
he had a couple times where he had the opportunity to kind of force it and go after it, and he made like a, a couple like really nice interior passes, mm-hmm. like across like low bounce passes across the lane. You were talking about Durham was really going at Chet. And the strength is something that is the big hang up for people when they talk about Chet. They're like, this guy's too skinny. What do you why do you think physically he's able to and you you've said that like people have kept coming at him over over time. Why has he been able to continue to leverage his length and not just get bowled over what it what is it about his physique that is that allows him to get by like what why should people believe in him in terms of his body type what do you think well i think the key for chet is just timing like so much of blocking shots is not just about physical abilities that's why a guy like andre drummond has never blocked a lot of shots even though he was probably the best athlete in the league for a while in terms of his size it's a good example it's about timing it's about like understanding okay, when to jump, when not to, when to stay on the ground. And like what makes Chet so special is he doesn't really have to jump all that often given his wingspan. So he doesn't have to buy the pump fakes. He can just wait and wait till the guy's going up for sure and then extend and block his shot. I would say it's a combination of length, basketball IQ, and toughness. I don't think we mentioned this, but like we were talking about Chet. It's funny, Emily Bates was in that game. But what I always go back to with Chet was he played Emily Bates last year. It was one of those like made for TV. You know what I'm talking about? Prize fight yeah, I watched in that. high school. And at one point he like crosses up Emily and then dunks on him. And he's just yelling at Emily and pointing at his heart. And it was kind of silly, but it was also like, that's true. Like I'm tougher than you. Like I have more heart than you. And that's a lot of what makes Chet good is he just he had to come up the hard way. Like nothing was ever given to him. He had to take it. I wanted to play a really quick game with you. So uh, this is called Believer, Agnostic, Non-Believer. So Chet as a shooter. John, are you a believer? Are you agnostic? Or are you a non-believer in Chet as a shooter at the next level? Because he was 0 for 3 in this game. Notice a lot of his threes lately have kind of been back rim. What do you think about Chet as a shooter? You believer? I think so. I think a good enough shooter. I don't see him as like a floor spacer necessarily in the same way that Jabari Smith, who we'll talk to about later. Like I do think he can make the shots he needs to make. He can step out and hit it when he needs to. He can be a threat at 20 feet. So I'll say I believe her. I don't think he needs to be like a Carl Towns to be successful anyways. Okay. Chet as an off-the-dribble threat in the NBA. You believe her? That is the one. That is the question. I guess I'm agnostic about. I'm a believer, but I understand why people might not be a believer. Because I think that is the swing skill. If you're drafting Chet at one, you have to believe he can create his own offense when he needs to. And he hasn't really done it much in college. So this one, I want, what's your opinion? Because I think this is the question about Chet, is the off the dribble stuff, is the shot creation. Where do you fall on that? I think it's situational and matchup. I think what we saw in that Memphis game was he attacked some mismatches. I just want to see more proof that he will attack mismatches aggressively because, you know, some of his efficiency can kind of fool us a little bit because it's like, well, there's the absence. He's on such a good Gonzaga team. And this is going to tie into another prospect on the board that I wanted to ask you about context with. You'll probably know who it is. But he's on such a good and balanced Gonzaga team that it can kind of hide some of that. You know, what if he was forced to attack some of those mismatches more frequently? I want to see it. I do. I really do. Because you were saying like in, in high school, we saw him attack Imani Bates off the dribble. We saw things like that. I'm leaning positive. Like I think that he... He has a great handle for his size, but sometimes these guys that are really big and long, the question is, is it functional? Because I don't know if you remember Thon Maker. There were all those clips of him like going behind the back and stuff like that. And it's like, that's great, but I'd like to see, you know, it's it, it, whether or not it's functional in the game is a different thing. I'm leaning 
towards believer, agnostic leaning believer there. So I think we're kind of in the same camp. Do you think he overpasses sometimes? Like he's like forcing the pass instead of just taking the shot? I guess why would he do that? You know, maybe he's leaning towards playing within the flow of the offense. He would do that, I think, just because Gonzaga's offense is so proven. I don't think there's been a ton of situations for him where it's been like, Chet, we need you to score because Timmy is just, he sucks up all the scoring ambition in the room you know against Memphis Timmy was dominant at times I mean he looked like 92 Christian Leitner in in that game at times he was unstoppable the other thing I'm curious about too as a Kentucky fan like remember AD's year like AD actually is kind of funny AD and Chet both averaged 14.2 points a game in college and AD had felt like a lot of times like I don't need to score this team is so stacked if I just do defense finish and move the ball will be like more than good enough. Do you see the conne- the de- connection there? Or is it kind of similar or what? Where did you fall on that? No, I absolutely see the connection. That was something that crossed my mind when I was watching him this weekend. I was like, this is kind of AD-esque. AD was a little bit more of an out-of-area, like disruptive shot blocker than than him and, and a more active like finisher. But in terms of the scoring, yeah, he could kind of recede to the background frequently in a similar way. AD's frame, I think, is the thing that maybe gave people a little bit more... But Chet also is a way better ball handler uh, and and can get kind of lower. I feel like he's a more flexible athlete. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Not everybody played well this weekend. I don't know if you got to check out Miami's upset of Auburn. What do you think went wrong for Auburn? I think first off, so you're someone who's watched a lot of Auburn basketball this year. Quite a bit. Like from a scale of zero to 10, how surprised were you by that performance? Just, I'm just curious. If we're going just kind of by you know, the integer kind of thing, I'd say negative 16. <laughs> Bill, who had never watched Auburn, like with totally fresh eyes, texted us on that Saturday when Auburn was playing and was like, I hate Auburn's guards. I was like, that's it. It's just like, you know, you can watch them for just a few minutes and like 
Kentucky was like trapping them and picking rolls and stuff. I was like, let these dudes beat us. And you know, Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green and then Katie Johnson. I just don't know what he's doing half the time. Like they get so excited and they just take terrible shots. I came up with a nickname for Jabari after this weekend. I said we should start calling him Catan because of how much he settles. What do you think about the nickname Catan? <laughs> it's not bad. Well, they, you had to explain. I was like, no, I get it. I, I know what Catan is. I'm not living in a cave. That's not bad because like I asked that because like I don't want to give Jabari too much blame for what happened because like those guards were terrible they've been terrible all season I actually like bet against Auburn that's how sure I was they were going to lose this game I was like the way these guards play if they play a veteran experienced team like Miami they're gonna lose I remember it was like early in the game and they're running a set and Wendell Green just just jacks up a 30-footer in the middle of a possession. I was like, okay, this is all you need to know about Auburn. Like, they're just not even playing basketball with it half the time, these guards. So all I have to say is, like, I don't want to blame Jabari for what happened because his guards set him up to fail. They were going to get exposed at some point in the tournament. I think that was pretty much a given if you've watched them all season. And obviously, you don't want to overreact to one game. I think the pro-Jabari camp is just like, well, it's just a game. It happened. Throw it out. But I, I do think when the way he played in this game corresponds to some of the issues he's had all season, there is something to be gleaned from it. What was his line ended up being? It was really bad. Yeah, in this game, 10 points. He had 15 rebounds, but you know a lot of missed shots. Four assists, three blocks, two turnovers. But he was 25% from the field, and he was 12.5% from three. But like, how many shots did he take? Oh, he was one for eight was, from three. That's what I wanted to know. And from two-point range, he was two for eight. So he was it was not good. And you know, you're, you're talking about the guards. I think it's both of those things. His guards are terrible. I think the context thing is absolutely a question with him what he would have looked like but I don't think that you can let him off the hook totally because I sent you a few screenshots well one I know of where he catches the ball in space and absolutely wants no part of dribbling the ball multiple times of the game he caught the ball with a guy Miami knew yes you could tell Larinaga scouted that team well. He's a good coach. He said, this guy doesn't want to dribble. We're going to sell it in the jump shot. He's not going to drive them out of what we do. He would turn the corner and just take weird, like he, his shoulders weren't squared, which are shots that he's made throughout the year. But Miami was playing more uphill on him than the, most teams I've seen this year. They were all over him. And, you know, you, you hesitate to penalize a guy for what he is right now, you know, because we don't totally do that with Chet. We have to speculate about what they're going to be. Six, seven years from now, do you think it's, Really bad. How how bad is it? I guess is what we have to gauge when we're comparing him with other guys in this draft. When we see basically no signs of him attacking off the dribble. Like if you watch Chet, even Chet, when he faces up, he tries to carve out space and get in the middle. Paolo, same thing. How much should we penalize him for that? The fact that we just have not seen it. How much does it lower the projection of his ceiling in your mind? I think for me, and this is something... Just in the last couple of years, I've kind of changed my opinion on as much as three-point shooting is important, much as spacing the floor is important, when I'm talking the top of the draft, what I value more than anything is the ability to get downhill, to put pressure on the rim, to be a two-point scorer. To be a star. Yeah. If you're going to be a star, if you're going to be an offensive hub, and you're drafting a guy this high, I think that's what you want more often than not is an offensive hub. It's just very hard to be an offensive hub if you cannot efficiently create two-point shots. If like your game is just based on throwing up threes 
it's just a really tough way to make a living. If you're like, you can't be the primary mode of the offense. If you're just going to catch the ball and shoot 25 footers constantly, especially if you're not a guard, if you're a forward and that's the thing too, they were talking about it in the game. They're like, this guy's 6'10", 220. Like, he can go with the basket. He's bigger and faster, and he's just not doing it. And I got a stat for you, yeah. kind of to tie this back in. I was looking at two-point percentage, like what you're shooting on twos. You're throwing out threes altogether. Just what you shoot on twos. Guys drafted in the top five in the last 10 years who played college basketball. So I ended up being like 45 or 50 guys. If you had to guess, where do you think Jabari would land on that spectrum of two-point percentage? I would say probably in the bottom third. That would be my guess. Where, where is he? Where does he rank? <laughs> dead last. Ooh. Not only dead last, dead last by significant margin. I would not have expected that. Wow. Jabari Smith shot 43.5% from two. Jesus. No one else in the top five has ever shot below 45%. There's only been six or seven guys who shot below 50%. Most guys drafted that high are efficient scorers. Who are the other guys? Can you tell me just a couple of them? Yeah, so Cade Cunningham, Ugh. Chris Dunn, D'Angelo Russell, Trey. So a lot of point guards. Yeah. Like there's just not a lot of forwards you're going to shoot that low from the field around the basket as Jabari shot. All that to say is he could add this to his game because he's such a good shooter, because he's so athletic. Just right now talking today I just don't really value that type of player that much is where I'm kind of leaning. If you're just going to shoot threes, if you're not a threat from two-point range, that to me is a massive red flag. Yeah, and I think we should clarify whenever we talk about like an offensive hub, a lot of that just ha it ties into the geography of the floor. If you're trying to be like the center of an offense like that can like flip the ball to your teammates when whenever the defense sells out to you, it's a lot easier to do that when you're in the center of the floor. That's just like basic geometry. So like if Jabari's going to spend a lot of his time facing up and jabbing at, at the elbow, it's going to be harder for him to be that type of player. Is there a team that you would rather see Jabari on? What's like an, like an ideal team that you think Jabari would look a lot better on? Or is it better that we're seeing him in this situation that's kind of revealing his warts? You need to have a good point guard. You need to have someone who's going to set him up for shots and create offense for him. And that's what you're talking about in terms of the, the t areas of the floor that he's at. And I think that's where you even go beyond the two-point shooting. It's like, okay, two-point shooting to me naturally leads to assists. Because if you are getting good shots around the basket, the defense will collapse on you. And then it's a pretty simple pass. And like that's the other thing with Auburn too is when you're watching that game is there's nobody on this team who's creating easy offense for anyone else. Everyone's just going one-on-one -on -one basically. And that is where like it hurts Jabari but also, you know, if I'm spending a top two, top three pick, I want my top two pick to be able to create easy offense for others. So that's where I, th I think I get worried about Jabari is he's got to add two things to his game. That's why to me, like we did our top fives. And I, th I feel pretty good about having Chet and Paolo above him. Because I think the, the road for Chet and Paolo to create offense for others is so much shorter road Jabari is going to have to take. We're speculating about a lot more when we talk about Jabari. If those other two guys fail to get there and Jabari ends up being like an elite floor spacer and like a good team defender down the, down the road and then he kind of sprinkles in a little bit of playmaking and ball handling, that could happen. And that's been the dilemma for me is measuring those two things against each other. But Paolo on Saturday 
I told you I watched it in a a stomach bug fog, but I went back and rewatched it again. Paolo, I thought, looked fantastic. Like I said, you and I had kind of been moving that direction. I hate that we're agreeing on it. We're trying not to influence each other, all that stuff. But what really stood out to you? What do you think popped the most for like, I don't don't know that we necessarily like learned a bunch of new things about Paolo, but I think we solidified some things that were trending in a certain direction. But like what's popped to you about Paolo in that game? One, he was really locked in. Sometimes Paolo has a lot of fat in his game. We kind of talked about like sometimes he'll just jab all day and just settle. Paolo was like, I'm here to win a game. I'm going at the basket. And he just made so many nice dump off passes. That's what really stood out. And like that's been impressive to me over the course of the season is he's really improved as a passer. He's really like he's been coached well. He's improved his game. He's not settling. He's making sure to get a good shot for himself or others. I feel like he's really gotten better over the course of the season. And I think like Paolo started off so strong and there was like a market correction where I think I think now it's going back the other way. People are like, oh yeah, this guy is six foot ten, two fifty guard, who can get his own shot all the time, who's developing as a playmaker, who's pretty solid defensively. Like, this guy's got incredible talent, and we saw that. He played great. I mean, he was awesome against Michigan State. Yeah, you start to want, you start to like look around after the sample grows, and you're like, wait a minute, why do? Why are we mad at this guy? Like the ill-equipped primary initiator kind of thing is has been the problem. That's been the question, but I think that he has answered that question. And as much as it, it pains me to say, <laughs> over the course of the season, he has been very well coached. I mean, and I think that. His poise in that game, you talked about the dump-offs. There were a couple different times. He bullied when he should have. He attacked when he should have. He dumped it off when he should have. He's got a great finisher playing next to him in Mark Williams. He did the things that he should have, and he sort of had a more complete game. Now, if he's going to be somebody who can balance and angle his game more towards that, of like attacking like that and bullying and getting to the rim, drawing fouls, being more of a creator... And not leaning so much on like I have to create my own offense. That's like that's where my value comes from. Like you were talking about him spamming the the uh, the stutter rip, like we joked about. If he can make that shift, I'm pretty solidified with him at number two. From my opinion, like it's them two in the top tier. I would put Jabari a step below Paolo and Chet. It is funny. So I gotta say, I don't know if you saw this after the bracket came out. There was this big kind of thing. Why is Duke a two seed and Tennessee a three seed? Let's look at their quadrant one wins and their net rating, blah, 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 blah. I was like, I think it's okay Duke was a two seed. Like sometimes people forget this is a made-for-TV event. We're here to grow the sport. We want to put Duke in matchups people want to see. conspiracy. Okay. It's not even a conspiracy. (laughs) It's common sense. It's the reason why these things are done behind a closed door. Like My theory (laughs) always has been with the college football playoff committee, it takes them like five minutes to come up with the actual games. Yeah. The rest of the time was like, how do we sell this? What kind of BS do we got to spin? Oh, it's just boy. obvious. Like, we got to create a good matchup. We want to maximize the ratings. College basketball especially needs this. The culture needs Duke versus Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Oh, we got to have rematch. it. No disrespect to Texas Tech and Arkansas. No disrespect. They're very solid programs. We've got to see Duke and Gonzaga in the Elite That would be like the biggest game in a long time in college basketball. They're the two biggest college programs right now. Like I say, it hurts me to say it, but they really are. They're the teams that are getting the highest level of talent. The real question really is like, is Paolo going to get enough juice? Let's say he finishes this out strong. Seems very in play that he could potentially, somebody could value him above Chet. Doesn't it seem possible? I mean, it seems very possible. I'm a Chet guy, but I, 
the way Paolo's playing, I can't even be mad if you took him above because he's playing great. This is a little bit lazy because they're both Duke guys. I just feel like Paolo is Jason Tatum if he played downhill more. Imagine if Jason Tatum went to the rim a lot more and didn't settle for like those 20-footers. It's the same kind of player but much bigger and more able to just get to the basket. And I think the shooting upside with Paolo is like not unrealistic at all. We're not speculating about like this could happen. Like there are nights where he can really shoot the ball and it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. And on the Duke thing, man... Uh, if Jeremy Roach is going to play like this, Duke might Duke might win it. I mean, I, I was reseeding my kind of confidence rankings. Like, granted, Michigan State isn't a perfect team. They were scrappy. They did their best. They wasn't the most talented. Another note is Max Christie looked pretty good in that game. And I uh, wouldn't be surprised if he climbs in the rankings. We'll circle back to that at some point. But Duke, uh, Duke looked uh, overall pretty good. Who do you expect to win based on sort of after the first weekend, the way it's looking for you? I mean, I got to ride my my Arizona guys. Like, I already got I got the money on them. I'm just going to believe in them. Kerr Krista is absolutely killing me, but that's not really <laughs> NBA draft talk. I will say, like, with Duke, the Texas Tech game, it's going to be awesome. Texas Tech has, like, five, six, seven guards, basically, and they all, like, switch every screen. And they play a super tough, super physical brand of bat. It's going to be a bloodbath, that Texas Tech-Duke game. If Roach plays well, like I said, it changes things for Duke. But they could get him. Yeah, for sure. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, I think we need to talk about your Texas Longhorns before we wrap up here. Big eye roll there. Uh, how are you feeling? I mean, it, did did it make you – did it pain you? I was feeling anxious about Jay Ivey having a big game against Kentucky. Kind of went your way instead. Well, how did you feel about Jay Ivey in that game? I thought Texas played great. I was like – I couldn't believe it was as close as it was. I was going to – Text you of Texas won. Be like Chris Beard is Bobby Knight. Like if if he had won that game, given the disparity in talent, it was preposterous. Bobby Knight disciple. He is a Bobby Knight disciple. It's like this guy. Like you forget that because the team was so up and down this year. Pretty disappointing given they were a top five ranking. But man, that guy can coach in March. Man, like he is getting the most out of a pretty limited. What do they say? Like the juice, like there ain't a lot of juice in that orange he had this season. And he squeezed every last, they almost won. And they're, they're putting a six foot seven guy on Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. And they almost won the game. They, they pressed up on Ivy really well. They did a great job that for a while it was like, they might actually win this game. And it was like absolutely preposterous given their talent level. I'm like this Chris Beard guy, man. He can really coach in March. He was going to beat Matt Painter three times. I was like, my God. He beat him at Painter at Arkansas Little Rock. He beat him at Tech. And he almost beat him at Texas, probably each time with less talent. I was like, this is incredible. I'm really excited, actually. Are you an animated watcher? I can't picture you getting up and pumping your fist. Like, I feel like I'm a little more <laughs> out there with my emotions. Like, what kind of watcher are you? I mean, it's hard because I have not had a good team to root for in a long time. So it's hard That's to have true. too much expectations. Football or basketball. No, it's been a rough, a rough decade. So it's just like house money. I was really excited for Texas. One thing with Jaden Ivey you could talk about, the thing I noticed in that game especially. So Texas's guards are not very athletic they're kind of like they just jack a lot of shots. What really hurt them all season is Big 12 teams would just get into their dribble, make them uncomfortable. Purdue does not do that. You just get to walk the ball up against Purdue, run your set with very little pressure. It doesn't feel like Ivy really defends very much. Not that he doesn't have the physical abilities, but you would think with a guy like Jaden Ivy, you would pressure the ball and like use that athletic ability to speed the game up. And Purdue just did not do that at all. Like, that's the thing with Ivy. 
he only really plays one side of the floor in a lot of games. That's an interesting thing to posit there. You would think that you could use him as like a perimeter stopper type player. I don't know that I'd have him like in terms of like going forward to the next level. That's what he strikes me as, as sort of a chaser, I think is what they call him today. Somebody that's going to be like coming off ball screens and staying attached. I don't know that he has the physical build. I was pretty impressed with his shooting in that game and had a couple nice passes. Ivy, I feel pretty firmly about it. I could see him going to five. I don't Do you expect him to fall past five in this draft, Jaden Ivy? No, but I think for me, tier two is going to have like four or five players. And it would not shock me if some of the guys below him jump him. It's kind of the same with Jabari that he's got the talent. He has the tools. But there's a lot of things he's going to have to add to his game that he doesn't have right now. And like Purdue, for me, they shouldn't have let this game be so close. And what it is is they just don't play much defense. They let Texas just get into their sets, stroll. And that was the same thing with Ivy in the Johnny Davis game. When Davis went off from the regular season, Ivy barely guarded him. It's like your top five pick. You got all the tools in the world. Like compete on defense and get after someone from a national title and he wasn't really doing it yep that was something that you had kind of brought up throughout the year about Purdue the trying to sort of quell my worries about having to play them but you know never happened the game never <laughs> happened so shout out Shaheen Holloway you know breakout star of March Madness oh good lord so uh there's there's gonna be we're gonna circle back and talk more about uh matchups as they come real quick with Sweet 16 Elite 8 what are you looking forward to like what are the games you think are gonna pop for the for the fan if they want to catch some of these guys well, i think you hit on one i think the texas tech duke thing is going to be a really interesting clash of styles duke has had this kind of um i, I just think that they're going to be they're going to be a really interesting matchup like i said stylistically i think north carolina and ucla that's a game we didn't get to talk about was the, their matchup with uh, north carolina's game against baylor was or was an epic one that was uh, there was just so much to hit on carolina is playing extremely well it's amazing i think that hubert davis really should gloat honestly because people were pretty mean to him after that hire they're just like what what a lame duck hire they could have done so much better and he's really turned this team around and has them playing better. That's a, that's one that I want to watch. And Villanova-Michigan rematch of the 2018 uh, final. That should be a good one. Michigan, I texted you and said Michigan stinks, and they have made me look like a moron over the course of these couple games here. Yeah, Michigan, that'll be a real interesting style fight. Michigan has two seven-footers. Nova has like a team full of six, seven guys. I think the Arkansas-Gonzaga game will be fun. So Arkansas has an NBA big man in Jalen Williams. And it'll be, I, I'd assume he's going to guard uh, Timmy. This will be a game for Chet. Chet's going to have like a 6'6 wing on him a lot of the time. Does he press that advantage? Does he look for it? They should beat Arkansas, but like this is a game you expect Chet to go off in. And it'd be a little bit of a concern if he didn't because Arkansas plays one big and four guards basically. And that's like the selling point with Chet ultimately is like you're playing two bigs, but you also have four guards on the floor. Like, you've got a seven-foot-one guard next to a big. And this should be a game where he goes off. And then, obviously, Duke and Zaga, like, that's like an emergency podcast. Like, if that happens. Because, like, the last game, it was, like, on a Friday night at, like, a Thanksgiving weekend. And it was, like, at 10 o'clock at night. It was, like, really tucked away. Yeah. Yeah. This would be prime time. Like, if Duke and Zaga happens, like, as I was saying before, college basketball needs this. We need this. NBA draft content needs this. Like, let's make this happen, please. Yes, yes. I'm very excited. This is a great time of year. It can also be an utterly devastating time of year. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm rebounding. I'm recovering uh, physically and mentally. So anyway, uh, John, you got anything that you're working on right now that you want to push? I just NCAA tournament. Just talking next week. We'll be here to talk about 
Sweet 16, Elite 8, get ready for the Final Four. I'm excited. This is the best time of year. Even if Shaheen Holloway makes his name off your school, you know, it's tough. Yeah, that's the way it is, man. It's, everybody's going to try Yeah, That's how it is. What about you, Kyle? What, do you got work, what are you working on? I'm finishing up a video still. I've been kind of coming in uh, in and out of it, but uh, we're trying to nail it down. So, we're Are you not going to tell us what it is? Like you're just going to leave us in the dark here? Nope. Mainly to annoy you now. That's why, just because you always want me to say. That's yeah. a good reason. Well, hit us up and subscribe to all the other Ringer NBA podcasts on our feed. Oh, shout out the draft guide. We should do that too. Yes, Kevin O'Connor put out his, his annual draft guide and it is very good and there are a lot of great comps in there and uh it's it's always just chock full of goodies and he's going to be updating that fairly frequently as we go to, closer to the draft so we will uh catch you next time john it was good to see you yeah